roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Welcome back to You'll Understand When You're Younger Inverted Edition Hey, I'm Brian And I'm Jordan We're a father and son who like to scour the internet for random facts and share them with each other. Our intro song is You and I by Ted Heineshevitz, and you can check him out wherever you get your music, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, whatever. Thanks, Ted. Uh, Hey, Pop, what's our feature story this week? It's amusement parks. Can't wait. But first, of course, it's time for the weekly question. Oh, so do you have that one this week, Jordan? That's right. Because it is an inverted edition, I decided to delete the question that you had already formulated and put on the sheet and replace it with my own. Oh, perfect. Uh, So what I came up with was something I've been asking my friends the last two weeks. What three celebrities, alive or dead, would you team up with to survive the apocalypse? So funny, Jordan, I actually have an answer for this off the top of my head. Wow, that's pretty good. It's going to take me five minutes, even though I've answered it four times. Well, there you go. So then I will go ahead and start off with mine then, if that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, please. I got to think. All right. Number one with the bullet, Woody Harrelson. You're like, what? Woody Harrelson? Why? Well, if you have seen the movie Zombieland, you understand the answer. But if you have not, I would encourage you to check it out. But he is phenomenal in Zombieland. It's a parody of zombie movies and zombie zombie shows. And he is great in there. So I would love to have him as someone. What skill do you see him bringing to your team levity is he just there to make you laugh or does he have a practical no he actually has in in zombie land he's got the skills he's got the strategy he's got the ideas on how they could attack the zombies and and how they could overcome the zombies and but that's not the you're assuming that woody harrelson will possess the same knowledge that his character possesses in this movie i do and i'll tell you why because the second part of that is he was he was the big uh, survivor from the Hunger Games, and so he's got that training as well. So he's got both Zombieland training and the Hunger Games training, so he understands how to survive against other people, how to survive against zombies, and he's going to carry that stuff. He's one of those guys who's, who's not just a, uh, you know, an actor who thinks about things. He's a method actor. He gets sure. into his roles. Sure, sure. So you're, you're positing that he's actually learned all of the things that he's portrayed on camera. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, a fantasy question. I'm giving you a fantasy answer. Well, you don't know it's a fantasy question. You might have a magical, uh, well, let's not use the word magical. You might have a very practical, um, some kind of token when the apocalypse happens that allows you to summon three people to your side. And the, it also is limited to only celebrities. And then that, in that point, you're going to want people who you really love and trust next to you. All right, fair enough. Well, that he's number one. All right, number fair two, enough. number two, Bruce Campbell. I don't even know and if I the, know who that is. You absolutely do know, know who Bruce Campbell is. He is Sam from um, Burn Notice, but okay. more famously, <laughs> more famously, he's the main character from the very old but still awesome Evil. Dead series, and so once again, I'm he's a sensing guy a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there you go. So he's he's definitely uh, the number two guy, and it's because he has he's dealt with the Evil Dead before. And as Sam Sam acts in Burn Notice, 
He was a SEAL. He's a former SEAL, so he has but he's that not skill actually set. a SEAL. <laughs> so he had to learn how to be a SEAL to be the actor. So yes, there you go. Number two did is he, Bruce or did Campbell. Did he have to learn how to drink mojitos? <laughs> well, maybe so, but he is definitely number two. All right, who's number three, Pop? All right, number three. So I wavered. I wavered on this as to do I go practical and say someone like Bear Grylls? But no, I'm not doing that because that's just too obvious. The best choice here in my mind, number three, Tom Hanks. Oh, God, why? Castaway, come on. Oh, my Lord. That's he had, None of the things that you are mentioning are real. You know that, right? I, I do get it. <laughs> he was but not stranded on an island without food. He had to figure out how to survive on an island. Not only that, but what movie was he also in where he had to learn how to survive with limited access to things? The yeah. Terminal. And he's in a new one uh, about being in the desert with a robotic dog that looked there absolutely you go. See? terrible in the previews. So. All of these things are super practical. He And he was uh, in all of the Dan Brown movies, so he has, he has the ability to, to <laughs> reason and understand things. Or he and, has the ability to memorize a script. And, and lastly, the, the last reason for Tom Hanks, I mean, first of all, he's, he's awesome. He'd be a fun guy to talk to the whole time. But beyond that, he was one of the, the, celebrity, the celebrities who, uh, you know, th first survived COVID, right? He and his wife, they survived COVID. And so if he and can if survive he can COVID. he can survive COVID, he can survive anything. He's, he's good to roll with my, uh, with, with my apocalypse, apop, apoc, apocalyptic team. So it's so, yeah, interesting you, you went with only actors. Uh, and so you were, I, I'm, I'm confused as to what else I would have chosen. Uh, another celebrity who's famous for something other than acting. Oh, yes, of, of course. Yes, I see what you're saying. So that, and that's where Bear Grylls kind of came into, into play. But I was like, you know, that's too practical. That's too obvious. I need to have something more fun with that. I mean, sure. these are people that are going to have great stories. So one of the things you may not know about Woody Harrelson is that his father was a hitman. No, I didn't know that. Is this Great our fact stories? of the week? What's going on the, here? And the, well, we can maybe send this as a fact of the week down the line, but his father was a hitman, and he was potentially, potentially, uh, a part of the whole JFK assassination. Assassination. All right. Now we're just getting into the hokey pokey of it all. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. All right, Jordy. Now I'm curious to see who your, your saviors are from the apocalypse. All right. Number one. Um... Andre the Giant. <laughs> because obviously he yeah. could fight off a myriad of zombies. The only real critical downside I feel like is the fact that he is not very quick, you know? Um, All right. He's not. And, and so that would require us to encounter a lot more zombies, but I would also feel confident in his ability to dismantle them piece by piece sure uh, so that would make it a little bit easier on me i wouldn't have to do much of the defense well he absolutely he absolutely solved all of that stuff in the wrestling matches right mm -hmm. uh where there's 15 20 guys in the ring and he ended up winning all of those so yeah and then i thought for my next one i would do like bobby flay or gordon ramsay i'm gonna go with uh -huh. gordon ramsay because gordon he, ramsay He's more of a character. Bobby Flay kind of seems like the wet blanket of apocalypse celebrities. <laughs> uh, but Gordon Ramsay would make sure, at the very least, that we were eating well. So, sure. um, 
that is, I'm not, I'm not very strong. I'm not very good at cooking. So I'm trying to plug those two holes that will be uh, somewhat important. And then I think third for some kind of comic relief, I would bring, um, I don't know, Tom Segura. Oh, there you go. Just so that that, that that is absolutely the only skill he has would be uh, comic relief. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd feel a little bit better about myself because I would feel like I could do more things than he could that would help the team, but except for the humor, which he would bring. And he also has a very, what I would say, dark sense of humor, and he has he a does. good way of making dark things light. So I think and that that would... Are you trying to say that the apocalypse would be a dark thing? Uh, in my imagination of the apocalypse, a zombie apocalypse specifically, uh, which is kind of the scenario I'm imagining, though there sure. are many apocalypse, apocalypse, I don't know, apocalypses, <laughs> uh, that one, I feel like he'd have some good jokes. I wish I could yeah. come up with one, but I can't. And that's why he's doing it for me. So. Fair enough, fair enough. So I, I I like your three. I do like them. I, I like my three better. I'll, I'll roll with my three. I'll be curious I, to see what the listeners, what, what the four or five listeners we have think. Yes. Uh, Mom, I'm going to put up a poll on the Instagram, and I'm going to put <laughs> it on the Spotify episode, and uh, you can go ahead and fill out if you think that my list was better or if Dad's list was better. And then on our Instagram posts for this week, We'll probably ask you guys what your answer is, and by you guys Perfect. I mean you, mom. Um, well, and and Phyllis actually does listen as well, so we actually have two. You're right. We so. did just learn that Phyllis also listened. Perfect. Um, awesome. Well, uh, without further ado, I think we should probably pop over to the feature story. All right, our feature story this week is amusement parks. So, Jordan, to start this off, I was curious to see what your earliest memory of any amusement park was. I'm, I'm just wondering kind of, uh, you know, what you remember about your first experience. That's a good question. I remember going to Valley Fair a lot when I was younger. Sure. Valley Fair is uh, an amusement park in Shakopee, Minnesota. Um, but my my first memories were traumatizing and they were that you and mom were trying to prod me into getting on to roller coasters (laughs) uh and i didn't want that so i wasn't traumatized by roller coasters itself but i was traumatized by your prodding and that is the traumatic thing that i remember is not actually going on the roller coaster of course i have another classic story about roller coaster but i think we should save that for another time we should. That's That's got to be a question of the week at some point in time. Yeah. We'll save that one for sure. Um, awesome. So that's my earliest. How about you, Dad? Do you have an earliest memory? So funny enough, it is also... No, actually my earliest one, I'm going to change it. I was going to give you uh, a Valley Fair reference, but that's not. My earliest memory of any amusement park is Disney World in Florida. Really? Yes. And so Disney World opened in 71, 72... Uh, in Florida, and mm-hmm. that was back when Grandpa Johnson was a semi-truck driver. That's what he did for a living. And so he drove all over the place, and for this particular trip, he took your grandmother, my mom, 
and I along, and we were going down to Florida to deliver the load that he had on his semi-truck. And so as we're going down to Florida, I, you know, I'm, you know, three or four years old. I have no idea what Disney World is. But Grandma Johnson knew that there was a place that had just opened down there recently called Disney World. Disneyland had opened in the 50s in California, but Disney World had just opened. And so she was excited. She was a fan of Disney, but she also was a fan of amusement parks and, and roller coasters. And so she was super excited to go. And she's like, Brian, we're going to go see Disney World. And I knew who Mickey Mouse was, of course. And she's like, Brian, we're going to go see Mickey. We're going to go see Minnie. We're going to do all this stuff. I was, I was excited. You know, you're three or four years old. You're super excited to go see that kind of stuff. So we get down to Florida. We drive up to Disney World. Grandpa's driving the semi-truck and he parks. He looks at Grandma and says, you have exactly one hour. <laughs> Grandma's like, what? Classic like, Grandpa yeah. line. Yeah, exactly. You, you got one hour and it, st and it starts now. Nice. We, we weren't even in the park yet. And so, so grandma grabs me and we're running. I mean, my legs are just, I'm tripping over myself. Grandma, I've never seen grandma run this faster in life. She loved, loved, loved amusement parks and loved rides. And of course I'm three or four. So th th there's no chance we're going on roller coasters. But what I do remember is, is two classic things. One of them if you've been to Disney World, and I've never been to Disneyland, so I'm assuming they have the same thing there. But Disney World has got the tram that goes all over the park and all over all the various different parks. So that's the one ride that I remember very vividly. It's getting on that and going around and seeing all the different aspects of Disney World. And Grandma was super excited to show me that. Hey, look, there's Mickey. Oh, Brian, hey, there's another Mickey. And oh, there's another Mickey. And so that was, that was one thing I remembered. And then the second thing, and you and Taylor we're able to experience this exact ride, and I don't think it has changed since 1972 when we took you there, and that was the Jungle Cruise ride. Um, and so we went on that. Classic. and Yes, yeah, classic, classic, classic. We didn't even go on It's a Small World. We literally didn't have time. So we went on, on the Jungle Cruise ride and um, went on that, got done, and Grandma's like, Brian, we've got like 10 minutes to get back to the car. And I kid you not, if we wouldn't have made it, I'm sure Grandpa would have started pulling out. We would have had to run to catch up. So that is my first memory of an amusement park. Not quite as uh, as uh, interesting as certain memories, but definitely one that I will never forget. Disney World seems like it's designed to scare children as much as it is to make their dreams come true. It's designed to make both their dreams and nightmares come true. I, I would you agree with you that. There. I yeah. mean, they got some weird-looking things going on at Disney World. I remember, um, not to turn this into the story of us at Disney World podcast, but I remember no, that's fine. going on. They, they actually closed it, but this the big movie ride or whatever. Oh, yeah, I do. And it was like just a combination of a, a bunch of small scenes from a bunch of movies in the 60s, and it was one yep. of the first rides that they opened when they – open the park in the 70s sure uh, so it was a lot more timely then but by the time that i was on it they hadn't updated the ride uh, <laughs> and i didn't know any of the movies that they were making references to so it's a classic disney ride in that you're sitting in a boat moving through an air-conditioned building with a bunch of indoor stuff so that's how pirates of the caribbean is that's how the big movie ride is yes. so. um, absolutely and there's one scene from one movie where uh, this guy hijacks the boat and then shoots out a stoplight 
so it's like we're supposed to be on a road but we're actually on the water i don't know how to describe it sure but he he came out and the, there was like the normal disney girl in normal disney clothes wearing her little name tag we're sitting on the boat a guy comes out with a gun not with an orange cap on it just with a gun all right and he he puts the gun to her to, right. to our lady and says yes. that he's taking over the tour and of course yes. all the adults are like oh this is funny like this is yep. part of the boat I am seven, and I'm like, how are people not freaking out right now? We've just been hijacked, and this man's going to shoot the Disney employee. And then they have the the traffic light trigger to go out when he pulls the trigger. Right. And so he pulls the trigger, and the light goes out. I'm like, oh, my God, he just shot that light out. And once he shot it out, then the boat moved past the red light because, of course, there was no red light anymore. Right. But I had nightmares about that, recurring nightmares about that exact moment for probably four years after going to Disney. And I was, I never had a dream about anything good. I just ever had that nightmare. It was so weird. That's, that's, that's crazy. I do remember that ride and I kind of vaguely remember that story, just not as vividly, obviously, as you had, but partly like you said. Because I was an adult, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's just part of the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, uh, guys, we're all going to die here at Disney World right now. <laughs> Is nobody yeah. going to freak out? Yeah, so I just feel like they've got a lot of that, you know, pirates and jails and that stuff yep. and families stranded in tree houses in the middle of islands. It's like, okay, this is probably the least uh, family-friendly <laughs> collection of animatronics I've ever seen. It is definitely crazy. It's it's funny how they how they design things. Um, they yeah, tap it's, it's into your primal fear to give you some kind of excitement, and but it's supposed to be. I mean, look at all the. I mean, you're going to talk about roller coasters, but look at yep. like Avalanche and Animal Kingdom, how it goes yep. up, and then you think you're about to run off the rails. It's terrifying. Yes, absolutely. Well, anyway, they're, they're called thrill rides for a reason. So thrill, but. more like fucking scare the shit out of me rides. <laughs> But I guess it depends of, on your age. So. Enough of my hey, pontificating. No, fair enough, fair enough. So um, before there were amusement parks, there were fairs. So county fairs, state fairs, and those were really started uh, in the 1100s or 1100-ish area time frame, so the 12th century. And those consisted of basically uh, folks selling their wares, you know, so vendors selling their wares, you know, some folks maybe uh, – telling jokes and maybe doing some some plays and things of that nature and people kind of enjoyed those types of things but uh it wasn't quite the same thing as what the amusement parks are um and so uh over the, over the years fairs kind of grew and grew and grew and morphed into something that were termed pleasure gardens and uh that Heck can be yeah. an odd name especially in today's world yeah. it kind of sounds like as, somewhere as, robert Kraft would hang out <laughs> or or something that was you know part of Caligula, uh, that too. Uh, that's a, yeah that. So, however, that's not what that was. Uh, pleasure gardens were simply permanent areas that were kind of set aside specifically for outdoor types of entertainment. So things like fountains, which are super entertaining, right? <laughs> Flower gardens. Who doesn't love but, watching waterfall? <laughs> bowling, uh, some type of lawn games, music, dancing a bunch of uh, primitive type of amusement rides, so like a horse and carriage, things like that. That's kind mm-hmm. of where the Pleasure Garden thing came from. And those things started to pop up, like I said, in the 16th century. And some of those things led to people starting to think about, hey, you know, people really like to come to these types of 
of places, what can we do to enhance that experience for the people and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, get some money for the vendors, uh, not necessarily have a, an entrance fee per se, but money for some of the vendors and for people who wanted to sell or wear. So like a blacksmith or someone who wanted to sell, um, you know, clothing, things of that nature. Sure. And as that started to grow, they really kind of morphed into your true type of amusement park. And little question for you, Jordan. There are three amusement parks that are that are the oldest operating ones. Uh, one of them is still from the 16th century. What? Uh, yes. <laughs> what? Yes. Yes. What are you talking there's, about? Th- there, there is one from f- that opened in 1583. That's mm-hmm. the oldest currently operating park in the world, amusement park in the world. And I'll tell you where it is in just a second, but that's part of the trivia I've got for you. So that one, and then there's another one that was opened a, a little bit later than that. It was opened in um, uh, the uh, 1843 was was the, the, the other one that I'm thinking of. And so uh, it, those are both located in the same country and v- fairly close to each other. Uh, and so I'm curious to see if you might be able to think of the country that both of these are located in. And, and there's what a was, reason why I haven't yeah. given you names yet. Okay. I haven't given you names yet. What was, the, give, what was the year? I didn't ask for a name, but what was okay, the so year? Okay, so the first one was 1583 was the first one. And, and the second one was 1843. Okay. 1843. Hmm. I was going to guess France, but now I'm nervous that 1843, they wouldn't have been in, in shape to be opening amusement parks. But maybe some kind of reconstruction project. Germany didn't wasn't technically a unified country. Right. Um, gosh, England seems like the obvious guess, and it must be wrong because if you told me the name i would know you said so i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with france but we'll find out i I feel like i'm wrong it is not france um and i'm excited for you to after this episode for you to ask your friend who lives in denmark about both of these locations no way they're danish Yes. yes so the first one and i'm gonna i'm going to butcher this name i apologize for it but dearest deary havisbakken um, and it goes by the, t- the word Bakken is really what everyone calls it. So they call it Bakken. And that was the one that was opened in 1583 and wow. is still operating today. So it's in Klampenborg, Denmark. And that is the world's oldest operating amusement park. Think about That's that. so neat. 1583? Yes, 1583. And so Man, you'll the Danes have, have really been doing nothing for 500 <laughs> years. They've really so, been doing nothing except being have, amused for five hundred uh, years. They've been amused. At, well, for for the longest time, that was considered to be the happiest country on earth. You wonder why? They have two yeah. of the oldest amusement parks. They've so always the, retained that title. It's not the socialism. It's it, the Danishism. It, exactly. It's the Danish. It's the Higa. So, um, so the second park in this one, your mother and I d- did not get a chance to go to. We had the opportunity to see it when we were in Copenhagen, which is where wow. it was located. 
But the line to get into it, even when we were there 178 years later, uh, <laughs> it was insane. Uh, it was like a three-hour wait for us to get in. So we were like, you know what? We're not going to do it. And so this one you may have heard of. It's called Tivoli Gardens. No, nah, I, I know nothing about Denmark uh, or the Scandinavian countries in general, except I know. Who I they I are. didn't know if you if you had heard of it only because it it's of its amusement park status. It's it's a pretty famous. Well, it is. It's it's more famous, and I think in my mind, in terms of pop culture, than uh, than Bakken is because it's in Copenhagen and it's considered to be an amusement park and pleasure garden. So. Uh, that one that's was open still in the title. It's still called the Pleasure Garden. <laughs> yes, that's great. Yes. I love it, that's, that. Hence the name Tivoli Gardens. So oh, um, yeah, so I'm super excited for you to ask your buddy Henry about both of these locations and whether he's been to either of them. So now I'm understanding why Madison Square Garden and TD Garden, yes. like why Garden is the name for a large arena. Because yes. a pleasure garden would have been the precedent. Absolutely. So that's two of the three. Okay. So that's the oldest one in Bakken and the third oldest one in Tivoli Gardens. There's still a third one that is not in Denmark. Okay. So this one, I will let you know, is close to Germany. That's your hint. And if you heard the name, it would sound like it's a German name, but not quite Germany. Austria. Yes, there, there it is. It's Wurstelpreiter, Wurstelpreiter, <laughs> or or as it goes by the name is Wurstel, and that is two hundred and fifty six years old. Opened in seventeen sixty six. Holy cow! So that is the second oldest one, um, and uh, yeah, that's located in Vienna, Austria. So if you end up getting to Vienna, definitely a, a place that you'd maybe want to check out. Yeah, for sure. I want to go to all three of these now. Yeah. Although, so it, do they have it, any roller coasters? Absolutely. Absolutely, they do. All three of them have roller coasters. The thing about a Wurstel, I'll say, is that the biggest attraction there is they have got um, the Wiener Reisenstrad. I'm butchering this. That sounds uh, is, dirty. Yes, Wiener Reisenstrad. Um, and that is a very, very large. Ferris wheel. It's it's one of the largest Ferris wheels around. Good and, thing that's what you said. <laughs> and the other rides that they have typically there are bumper cars, carousels, and, and roller coasters, as well as some of the, the typical uh, amusement park games that we see nowadays. Uh, you know, various different you know wax uh, museum type things, and and you know the carnival games with the carnies with two or three teeth hanging out there and trying to you know bark at you. Sure, so love that a good one, carny. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then the original Bakken also has lots and lots of different rides as well. Um, it has got a, a ride that was uh, that was um, reaching uh, uh, forty miles forty miles an hour. Excuse me, forty seven miles an hour back in nineteen thirty two, and it's a all wood roller coaster. So at that point in time, it was forty seven uh, miles per hour, which doesn't sound very fast. But when you start thinking 1932, that was absolutely the big thing. Uh, has lots and lots and lots of different rides. It specifically um, has six roller coasters and 33 rides overall, including one water ride, at, and that's at Bakken. Wow. And then at at the um, Tivoli Gardens, 
They have four roller coasters, 25 rides, and two water rides. Two water so, rides. So they really two water, them well, over there. Well, they got to beat Bakken, right? They, I mean, that's that's their, comp- their competitor, so they got to beat them. So, so th- those are the, the, the three oldest ones that are still operating. I was shocked when I started doing some research on this. Uh, and found that the first one was 1583. I was like, "Holy cow, that's that's shocking," you know. And then, you know, and then you hear, you know, the the Worstel Prodder and and Tivoli Gardens. I knew Tivoli was old, but I thought honestly in my head that that was the oldest one. But it it was not even close. Absolutely nuts. And I know it's just my closed-minded American perception where I don't care about anything outside of my own country. But when you think amusement park, you don't think of Denmark or Austria, I feel like. <laughs> no, you don't. I, you don't. If I, you're thinking out, yeah, go for it. And say, so if you're thinking outside the U.S., you're thinking Disney France and Disney Japan, That's right? That's what I was just gonna say. I immediately, <laughs> if you asked me for the most famous amusement park outside of America, I would say Disneyland Paris. Yep. So yes. that's that's good humor. So a, another question for you, Jordan. Moving on, just a hair is. When you think of an amusement park, what types of things come to mind for you? Obviously, I think roller coasters, so we'll talk about those in a bit. But are there any things that, that come to mind? I'm going to name uh, classes of things. I think of rides that spin. So that's like the teacups or sure. uh, it, there was also one at Valley Fair called the Scrambler. Yes. Uh, and then I think of roller coasters. I think of water rides. I think of those types, the types of rides that are like a pendulum that go back and oh, forth sure. and you have to sure. go on it. And then I think about concessions and them being yes. overpriced. That is where I was hoping you would go is the concessions aspect. So what I thought I would start with here in terms of the concessions are just some of the most unusual uh, theme park or amusement park foods that, have, that I read about when I was doing my research. And I'll, I'll give you the names of, of the the food items and the location in case and people I are interested. Guess what it is? No, 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 no. Oh, I can't okay. do that. That's that's too much. <laughs> that's too much. And there's eleven, and I'm not going to go through all eleven. I'm just going to give you a couple ones that I thought were were unusual. So the sure. first one I thought that's on top of there, and it's located at the Islands of Adventure, and it is called the Green Eggs and Ham Tater Tot. So of course they base that on Dr. Seuss. But I thought that was odd that they would come up with a green eggs and ham type of food. I, I was wondering how 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 well that would sell. What do you think? Uh, I think it probably sells like gangbusters because we had green eggs and ham day at Ridgeview when I was growing sure. up. And that was one of our favorite days. They just put food coloring in the egg yolk, but it I mean, everybody lined up to eat it. That's funny. Well, they absolutely they uh, these are pesto infused eggs, so that's kind of what they what they do to make them a little more flavorful. Here in this case, sure. Uh, another that, one that'd be uh, the better option, but they weren't going to give that to a bunch of elementary schoolers. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So another one that caught my eye were apple fries a la mode. So instead of French fries, apple fries uh, with uh, you know with some um, batter on them and some ice cream as well. So and that's that at Legoland parks. Delicious. I mean, come on. It does, doesn't it? It's like a like a uh, an apple pie. Yeah. So so that one was interesting to me, and then another one uh, that I thought was funny because I you know I don't think of this. I mean I I don't think of this amusement park, and this is what caught my eye. But 
The amusement park is Dollywood, so I'm sure you've maybe heard of it. Love the, the, the idea of Dollywood, and I yes. do think about it sometimes. Just <laughs> We'll move on. Um, so the, the big thing there, and this isn't an unusual, but I just thought it was interesting, cinnamon bread. Uh, that's like a huge seller. That's absolutely their number one seller there. They produce over 2,000 loaves of cinnamon bread per day. No kidding. That's... I was shocked by that. That was why I had to bring that one up. It's like, I cannot believe that they sell that much cinnamon bread on a daily basis. I am surprised that that many people are going to Dollywood to consume that much of anything <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> and then the last one is only just because because I love these, and I know that these maybe aren't your favorites, and I know Mom isn't a big fan cakes. of them. No, no, I hate <laughs> funnel cakes. Those are disgusting. But at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, oh, yeah. their big seller is whoopie pies, which, because you live in the Northeast, you have to be familiar with what whoopie pies are. I don't know what a whoopie pie is. <sighs> you can't ever, you're, you're going to get kicked out of Boston after this. Uh, so a whoopie we'll pie, a whoopie pie is on the outside, you can have uh, like a chocolate cake on each side. So it's like a sandwich. It's like a, 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 a cake sandwich with some type of a cream in between. So a lot of times it's like an, a, v a vanilla cream or a chocolate cream or like a mint cream. a Boston cream. cream pie, you mean? Yeah, it's not the same thing because it's actually, a, it's more of a, it looks like a sandwich. So if you've seen a moon pie, uh, same thing as a whoopie pie, but the whoop, whoopie pie doesn't have the outside stuff. So it's cake on the outside uh, or like an ice cream sandwich. Think of it that way. That's what a whoopie pie is. They're phenomenal, by the way. So you're going to have to go and find one. All right. So, so that's food. Um, so, and, and obviously you mentioned rides, things of that nature. So I'm going to kind of tie into, um, tie into some of those in just a second, but I, I did want to talk to you about one of the other things that we we've mentioned here real quick, and that is games, games that you have at, at, uh, amusement parks. How did so I that's, forget games? I didn't even think of games. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, obviously there's lots of different types of games that you have there. Uh, there's games of chance, right? So you can... Uh, randomly do something uh, that allows you to maybe shoot a shoot a uh, to shoot a, a coin into something that that and if it lands on a certain spot it's random, uh, so there's a certain way of there and then there's the games of skill and we're going to concentrate on a couple of the games of skill. Uh, can you think about a, a couple of the games of skill that you think you would typically have at at a uh, an amusement park? Um, well, I know they're all rigged, but I would well I, absolutely they are. I, I'm thinking a game of skill is the one where you knock down the milk. Uh, yes, the milk bottle game. The milk yes. bottles, which is just Absolutely. funny that they still use milk bottles. <laughs> it is. That's one of the oldest amusement park games because you had milk bottles and all you needed was a rock or a a ball of some sort to be able to try and knock those down. So that's that's one of the, the longest running and oldest uh games that exist in there can you think of another one that's that's kind of interesting and you absolutely know is rigged it's one that that um you've, you've become a huge fan of of the actual game on the court recently yeah the basketball um, shooting yes. thing that was gonna yes. be my next one yes and so w when you think about that do you understand how and why or not why well, we know why because they want to win but do you know how they rig that not particularly so the ball is usually pumped an extra pound or two more than it typically should be number sure. one. And number two, the rim is typically half an inch or an inch 
smaller, uh, you know, in, in circumference than it typically is. So the combination of the more pumped up ball and the circumference being uh, different it allows uh, them to have a much higher chance of, of them beating you in those types of games. Sure, that makes sense. Craziness, huh? Yeah. So. All right. Next, next thing to cover: rides. So, just uh, uh, in terms the of, best of rides, of a yeah, of the best any part. pleasure so, garden of any pleasure garden uh, are, are there rides, all kinds of rides. So, do do you have a sense, or do you have any idea of the year of the very first roller coaster? And I will tell you, it's not the. It wasn't fifteen eighty three when the first uh, amusement park opened, um, and it wasn't even at that amusement park. I'll give you that hint as well. But the year. And the location of the, basically the first roller coaster that happened in the world. The year was... Roughly. Was 1910, and the location okay. was Coney Island, New York. So that is a great guess, and it would be one that in my head I would be thinking. But no, the year was 1650. Shut up. <laughs> it was 1650. Come on. Yes, 1650. And the location, your mother and I have been there, St. Petersburg, Russia. How do they even work that? So the way they did it is they made very large ice slides that were supported by various different t sizes of, of heavy timber. So it was, think about it, it was the precursor to the having luge. the wooden rollers. Well, or the luge and the wooden roller coaster, right? Because they put everything together with heavy timber and then put ice on top of it. And so they did that during the winter, obviously, only. And they used iron runners to glide down the hill in St. Petersburg. So that the was luge. the luge. It was the luge, but also the precursor to the to the roller coaster. Isn't that crazy? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was shocked by that. However, however, Jordan, they they claim that that was the very first one. Um, but there's another country, and I'll just give it to you here, France, of course, that says no, 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 no. We were the first, and. You start thinking about that, and when you hear the year, you're going to go, wait a second here. They're in 1812. So this is, you know, three, uh, you know, 250 years later, they're like, no, we invented this. Where did you guys get the idea from? So they, in, in uh, France, created uh, a roller coaster, ironically named Les Montages Russes à Belleville, wow. which means the Russian mountains of Belleville. Um, and Classic. so they're claiming that, that they created... The first roller coaster, but somehow named it after uh, the Russians who created the roller coaster so, 50 so, years before that. So they're disputing that that Russian roller coaster didn't exist or that it didn't count as a roller coaster? It didn't count as a roller coaster. Interesting. Okay. So this one was one of the, one of the first that had wheeled carts secured securely locked to the track and guide rails to keep it on course at, at higher speeds. So in that sense, yes, maybe it was one of the first roller coasters because of that aspect. When you think of the current and modern roller coaster, that pretty much fits into that, I would think. But how did that one work? Because they still didn't have, like, motors, did they? In they did not have motors. They, they, it because of the, the, uh, it worked on gravity, right? So yeah, in terms you, of who has to push that thing up, Andre, the giant, I, you know, I don't know that that part of it was not, uh, was not discussed in the, in the, the information that I read. One of the things I do know is that some of the locations did have a railroad line that would pull things up and it would pull off to a separate part of the track. And then it would 
be able to push down. Uh, the, the roller coaster itself would be able to push down, and then they would pull that back up again. That is not what they, they noted for the one in France, but those are the later ones and how they started getting them up and running. Interesting. Wow, people really had a lot of time to screw around back then. They did. I mean, they, people talk about how now we have a lot of leisure time. Yeah. Heck, these guys had time to invent pleasure gardens. They right. had time to invent, uh, you know, amusement park games and foods as well as um And it was uh, probably rides. all built with a seven-hour-day child labor, so I don't get what <laughs> everybody's complaining about. Exactly. I mean, for Christ's sake, would you rather have a pleasure garden develop a new ride, or would you like to have two days off a week? I mean, come on. I, I hear you. I hear you. So uh, another very famous ride at at amusement parks, other than roller coasters, uh, we mentioned before, and that would be the Ferris wheel. George Ferris. Is his name George? That was my guess. Uh, um, it was uh, built by George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. So yes, I was George right. Ferris. It was George. It was. It was George Ferris. George and Washington so, Gale Ferris Jr.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he Boy, was, that's he a was mouthful. He was saddled with a junior. His dad did not like him very much. So, uh, so he should. It should really be called a a Ferris Junior wheel. It should be a Ferris Junior wheel. Exactly. That's great. All right. So, can you guess roughly the location of that one and the year? I'll I'll help narrow it down. The location was in the United States, and the and it did occur in the nineteenth century. I'm going to say that it was the 1867 World's Fair in Chicago. So you have the location right, ding, ding, ding. But the, the year wrong. The year and the actual reason for it is slightly off. Okay. So it was in Chicago, and nice. it was in 18, 1893. Oh, and I was so close. You, you were you're very close. And the uh, reason for it was Chicago's Columbian Exposition, uh, where uh, uh, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. created the first or (laughs) debuted the original Ferris wheel, also sometimes known as the Chicago wheel. Shut up. Even the Ferris wheel at Navy Pier is called the Ferris wheel. What are they talking about? Maybe you should call it the Chicago wheel and see what happens. They should. They're not going to get away with it. <laughs> the, the only uh, Ferris wheel that I've ever felt comfortable not calling a Ferris wheel was the London Eye. Oh, yes, absolutely. Even though absolutely. it's just a Ferris wheel. So that is, that's kind of a history of rides and food and games at, the, uh, at amusement parks. So what I thought I'd talk about now are a couple different highlights in terms of history of, of amusement parks. Um, I'm not going to go through everything, but I'm going to give you a, a, a few things. So you mentioned Coney Island a little bit earlier in the in the podcast, and Heck we've yeah. been to Coney, and we've been to Coney Island, and we've been to to uh, lots of different aspects of it. And, and one of the the oldest rides, which is the Cyclone, which is a, one of the oldest, oldest, oldest uh, um, operating um, wooden roller coasters, and we've we have ridden that. The thing I w- wanted to mention about Coney Island is the whole reason that Coney Island became popular, um, you know, uh, as a as an amusement park ride is that they actually completed a railroad link to Coney Island. So not a subway, but a railroad that went from 
Brooklyn to Coney, excuse me, went from Manhattan to Brooklyn or the Coney Island area of Brooklyn. And that happened in 1875. Is that, and that the is, Long Island Railroad now? It could be. Uh, well, I don't know, because Long Island's separate than Brooklyn, right? So it certainly, it certainly, uh, it certainly could be tied to that, but it, that is not the same thing. Okay. Um, so, so that was that was that that was when that happened, and they started to build uh, their own amusement park, and that one had a cabaret entertainment. And if you're if you're familiar with cabarets, it'll tie back to our, our combat zone type of yes. discussion we had a couple our, our red uh, light district episode. Uh, exactly. So it had cabaret entertainment, had vaudeville acts. So think of you know people you know stand up comedians, but more importantly, they had your um, your folks who had ventriloquists uh, were huge vaudeville acts. Uh, and they had fortune tellers, which, of course. of course, is a huge thing, right? You had someone who was going to read your fortune, you know, and games. And then they had small carousels. And, and those are that's the other ride people think about a lot of times is, is carousels at, at amusement parks. Uh, so that's, that was the really the beginning of Coney Island, like I said. And that's, that's when we... We, uh, that's the one that we went to and, and absolutely love riding on that. So the other thing I want to mention is the heyday of the amusement park. So when we think of amusement parks and them growing, they, they grew an immense amount, especially in the United States in the early 1900s. But what's considered to be the golden age of amusement parks was a specific decade. I'm, I'm again, going to quiz you to see if you might be able to guess what decade is considered to be the golden age of amusement parks? I'm going to say the Roaring Twenties. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. Well done, my friend. People didn't have, they couldn't drink, so what did they have to do? They had to go to the amusement parks to and get their get fortune They had to go get fucked up by riding on a roller coaster <laughs> and getting their G-forces pressing Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so one of the, the trivia items there is that many of the larger cities, so things like New York, of course, and Philadelphia and Chicago, they had as many as six amusement parks. Those large cities did. I can't even imagine having six different amusement parks in your city, but that was how popular they were uh, during the 1920s. That's pretty good. I can't imagine. I mean, now there's not, I mean, there's like one per state in America. Right. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, so, I guess there's still some smaller rinky-dink ones, but they're mostly all closed, even when you drive by them on the highway, you know? Absolutely. And then we, you know, they, they grew in the 20s, and then they started to crash out a little bit in the 30s because of the Great Depression, and people didn't have, have time and effort to do that. They were busy working at that point in time. And then in World War II, they started to get a little bit more um, popular again because people needed a diversion. But... What happened in 1955, Jordan, that that started people to get back into the amusement park craze? Um, Disneyland opened in California. Disneyland opened. That was the first theme park. So when you think about amusement parks, they don't don't necessarily have a theme, but this right. was the very first theme park, and it cost, <clears throat> excuse me, 17 million dollars to build that. So oh, when you think that about that, that's crazy. Maniac. Yes. A crazy man. And during its first five, uh, five, uh, excuse me, during, it had five different themed areas, excuse me, during its first season, and it had 3.8 million visitors in the first year. Nuts. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. That's pretty. So good. then we'll move along the timeline here real quick. And the first Six Flags opened in Texas in 1961. Oh, no that way. was considered. Yes. Yeah. I've been to that Six Flags. I didn't know that that yes. was the first one. That was the very first one. Yes. Uh, and that was the very first successful "quote unquote" regional theme park. So Disneyland was considered to be a national theme park, of course. Okay. And so Six Flags at that point in time was was focused on Texas, and that was going to be, uh, you know, you know, just a regional park, and then obviously it grew into that as it as it became more and more popular. Now, the Flume, Jordan. You the mentioned flume. the Flume. The Flume. So. In what year and what park did the first flume occur? I mean, I want to guess the Mall of America. <laughs> but I <laughs> you know would that's be not wrong. True. Um, I would like to say that it was at um, Cedar Point in Ohio. In oh, that would be a great guess. 1947. Uh, so not quite right at either location or the year. Year was 1963 and was at the previously mentioned Six Flags Over Texas. Oh, really? So the Log Flume was the most popular ride at the Six Flags. As soon as it opened, it became the number one ride at that amusement park. Absolute classic ride. Still one of the Absolutely. most fun rides at any any amusement park, in my opinion. Absolutely. And then 1971, we mentioned the Dirt, Walt Disney World opened, and that was the most expensive amusement park at that point in time ever built. And was can you? I'll give you uh, an opportunity to guess what you think the amount it cost. It was more than 200 million, but less than one billion. I'm gonna say 623 million. You're off a bit. 250 million. I kind of I kind of baited you into that one. Sorry. Yeah, you did. You're not supposed I, to I give limits. You're just <laughs> supposed to ask how much it costs. It was more fun. Uh, so 250 million dollars in 1971. So that was obviously huge, uh, huge investment for them. And then uh, another highlight, real quick, is 1982 Epcot uh, opened. And the reason why I gave you the the price guess for Walt Disney World itself, I want you to guess how much Epcot cost in 1982 to build but all on its own yep so this is 10 years later roughly. so so you're saying it cost 200 something million to just build magic kingdom yes just the magic kingdom and then epcot was built in 1982 okay uh geez let's say let's say for that let's say 460 million so again you'd be off to it'd be 1 billion with a b dollars gosh darn it my my estimation skills are off that's wow. fair enough that's they spent that much more on epcot i mean i think yes. a lot of that must be tied to the fact that it was supposed to be an experimental living community and yeah they failed miserably at that so they had to convert it to a theme park absolutely absolutely interesting so, so that's some history on, on theme parks there i have a couple other things i wanted to cover in this um so uh I wanted to mention just at a high level some of the failed experiments in terms of 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 theme parks because there's there's a couple of them that are of interesting uh, note that you maybe uh, would like to have gone and seen at some point in time. All right. So I will. So 
there is one that is called and located in uh, New Orleans, and there's actually a uh, documentary on Amazon Prime right now about this specific theme park. And it was um, opened in the, um, uh, I'm trying to find the year again. I just had it and lost it here. If you bear with me here. It was opened in the year 2000 and it was called Jazz World and it was located just outside of New Orleans. Classic. Yeah, that's great. As it should have been. And Yes, and the whole idea behind that, and if you watch the documentary, you'll you'll hear a lot more about this, was that they thought that they needed to have a theme park, despite the fact that basically from the from the 80s and 90s, theme parks started to, to slow down quite a bit. People didn't go to them quite as much as they had in the past. And once it got to 2000 and the Internet became popular, people started to, to turn their eyes towards other things other than going to theme parks. But they thought having a jazz-themed uh, theme park was a good idea. And so they opened that sucker up, and after a year, it got sold to Six Flags because it was about ready to go under. Of course. And so Six Flags of New Six Flags in New Orleans opened up, or was about ready to open up. And when Hurricane just, Katrina hit. Exactly. So I, that is, I knew that Six Flags was there because I knew that it was abandoned and never opened. Yes. Uh, because yes. it's a very famous place for self-titled urban explorers to break yes. into and yes. visit. Um, and it's never opened. It just sits there empty, right? Exactly. And so that, that documentary called Close for the Storm, is, is I did watch it on, uh, a couple months ago. It is very interesting. Uh, so it was, it was quite a story. The other one I wanted to mention, because I had never heard of this, and this was in Bay Lake, Florida, which I don't know, but my assumption is that it's got to be semi-close to Orlando because it's called Disney's River Country. That is a fail. Think about this. There's a U.S.-based Disney park that failed. That is actually shocking to me. I can imagine one outside the country failed, but one in the U.S. Uh, failed. So it was actually opened by Disney. It wasn't some person infringing on their copyright. Right. It, it was, uh, it, it was the, actually, I, I, I have to go back and I'm reading my notes. It was actually built as part of Disney World. It was the very first water park built as part of Disney World. And so it opened and then it closed in November of 2001. And a little trivia on that is it's one of only two Disney parks ever to be closed and not removed. So when they close them, they typically remove them. And this one was not. And I have one last one for you, only because you used to live in this state very well, recently. Well, hold on. We got we to gotta spend some time on this. Why did it open and close in the same month? What happened? Do we know? It, so it opened in 2001, but closed in November of 2001. And so the reason for that was that 9-11 happened. And the tourist industry took a nosedive after that. People were afraid to travel. Wow. So and they were underwater so, on their initial investment. Literally and figuratively, since it was a water park. Yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. Water parks are a terrible business model to begin with. But yeah, you yes. don't want to open that up uh, in 2001. Okay. Yeah. That was rough. On to the All next. All right. So then the last one I'm going to mention is located in the, in the state you lived in just before Massachusetts, and that's North Carolina. Curious to know if you yeehaw. have ever heard of this one. What's that? I said yeehaw as yeehaw. a reference to me living in North Carolina. Yep. So it is called The Land of Oz. I have heard of that, but I didn't know that it was in North Carolina. 
absolutely. So it was terrifying. A 16... <laughs> well, and that's the thing. They're saying that this is one of the creepiest parks it's ever so created. It's so terrifying. I have watched. I don't know why this is something that I've seen. So I haven't watched documentaries, but you're mentioning all these, and I just watch YouTube videos of people breaking into <laughs> places and exploring sure. them, and I don't know why I do it, but I do. And uh, they always pick theme parks, and so I've seen people break into the New Orleans one and to this Land of Oz, and it's just so terrifying. It, it looks... I looked at some of the, <clears throat> the photos of this place, and you know, obviously it's overgrown now, but it looks creepy and the buildings look creepy. So I can't even imagine this was ever not creepy. I was, yeah, I was going to say the way that it's built it. I can't imagine that it was anything but terrifying even while it was operated and the paint was fresh, but now <laughs> with faded paint and overgrown plants ew, and nobody there. Ooh. So, so that, that park, the land of Oz was first opened in 1970 and it was a huge success when it of first opened. It was, of course. However, and it doesn't say exactly when, but the interest began to decline and it became almost completely deserted in a very short period of time. So I don't know if that means a year or two years. It doesn't give me that information. But with in a very short period of time, it was abandoned, completely deserted. And then in 1975, a fire, maybe by one of the urban explorers, uh, ravaged parts of the park. But there's still a ton of it that that is exists and here's the last piece of trivia for you it does open its gate around halloween every single year for people to go scare fest that's great yes do they do they put anything up or do they does the person who owns it just open the gate and let people come in it sounds from what the research I did, it sounds as though they'd spend a little bit of time making it be a little more creepy than it would standard standard wise be interesting yeah, I thought that was crazy. So, those are those are some of the uh, the abandoned theme parks there. So then, my last piece of this before we wrap up the the uh, talk about theme parks was, uh, you know, rankings of theme parks. And I don't mean by th- rankings in terms of like which one you think is the best because that's very there's way too many around the world to to do that. But right. maybe give me the top two or three that have the most populous. Uh, theme parks in the world. So which ones have the most people coming to them on a yearly basis? Now, I will caveat this in that the numbers are through 2019 because obviously in 2020 and 2021 is a little bit uh, of a down yeah. year for for amusement parks. So I'm going to say probably the most popular one, if I had to guess, would be uh, Disney Tokyo. And, okay. Uh, the second most popular... I'm going to guess is Disneyland, California. Okay, so both very good guesses, and they're both uh, they're, and, and they're they're both incorrect. The number one theme park in the world is Magic Kingdom, not just Walt Disney World itself, but Magic Kingdom in in uh, Florida is the number one theme park in the world. And in 2019, it had almost 21 million visitors. Interesting. So I thought that that could be the case because people talk about Disney World more than they talk about Disneyland, but I didn't know if that was just because we came from the Midwest. And so if you're going to fly to Florida or California, then it's about the same distance, and uh, and Disney World's obviously a much more expansive park. And, and Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And the number two, it was is actually Disneyland Park in Anaheim, Florida, with almost uh, eighteen, Anaheim, almost nineteen. California or Anaheim, yes. Florida. Okay. Did I say Florida? Anaheim, Florida, and I was like, hmm, that doesn't mm, that's sound a new right. city. Uh, it, it is not right to be Anaheim, California. Disney so I, w- I was right. My second guess was right. I said that yep. that was the second most popular, and it is the second most popular. Yep. And, and and just to throw you a bone, the numbers three and four are both Disney theme parks in Tokyo. One of them, Tokyo Disneyland, which which has 17, almost 18 million uh, visitors per year. And and I've never heard of this, this fourth one, Tokyo Disney Sea. Have you heard of that before? Yeah, I have Disney Sea. Yeah, Disneyland and Disney Sea. I've I, never again, heard of that. Again, I watched the weirdest YouTube videos ever. So yes, I've. I've yeah, also, I'm learning that. I'm learning that about heard you. Of Disney Sea. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the number four in the world. So uh, I in, guess in two out of the top four. Can we give me some credit for that? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of credit for that. Well done. Well done. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So. That wraps up my uh, my story on Your theme parks. Story. There, uh, yeah. So, well, I was amused. Uh, good. Well, hopefully the the uh, listeners are still listening, so they can be semi amused at this point now. As well. Yes. Well, it was a garden of fun. <laughs> it was a pleasure garden. It was a pleasure. The pleasure garden we walked through together was magnificent, Dad. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, how about this week in media? I can go first. Sure, go ahead. Uh, so I watched Survivor for the first time ever, which might sound wait a second. This is the first time you. you've ever ever watched Survivor ever in the forty-five seasons it's had. This is the first time you've watched it. Correct. Yeah. So I knew wow. what Survivor was, but you sure. may know, being my father, that I don't watch really any reality TV. Right. Right. You're opposite from me on that. Right. Uh, Taylor also enjoys reality TV a good bit. So I was there visiting him this past weekend, and he and his girlfriend are in the midst of rewatching all the Survivor seasons. Because oh, nice. She really wants to apply to be on Survivor. Really? Wow. So she's studying and trying to figure out how she is not only going to get herself on the show, but win it. And so I was somebody who was in the room with them while she was studying. And I got to see Survivor, and I was pulled in immediately. Um, it's so <laughs> So what cool. drew you in? What drew uh, you in? I think that... So I'd seen The Amazing Race before because one of my roommates, Tony, made me watch that. Yes. And it was fine. And the reason he made me watch is because he wants the two of us to apply to be on the... Oh, he and I to apply to be on the Ameri- uh, on the Amazing Race, but um, I I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was that great, but then Survivor I like because most of the interesting stuff that happens doesn't happen when they're doing the competition aspects of right. it. Right, it's all right. of the manipulation that goes on on the island to figure out how you're gonna get people to vote who you want off yes. so that you can stay on longer. I Absolutely. really like that. It's like a very Lord of the Flies, almost directly Lord yes. of the Flies scenario. Absolutely. That 
they just take normal people and throw them into, even if it is for television. Uh, I know they don't fake the food and stuff, but obviously the people know that they're being filmed, so they're not acting their most brutish selves. But it's definitely a fun character study. I don't know that I'd be any good at it, but I have loved watching it. So it's funny that you're watching it. So your mom and I watched the first probably three seasons, I think, of Survivor. Right. Um, and so we, just like you said, it, it hooks you right away. You start you start watching it and, you know, you get drawn into the personalities. You get drawn into the little different uh, themes that they've got each week and the different, uh, you know, contests. I, so I haven't watched it seriously since the, the probably the third season. And so I should probably check it out again, although I, I don't need something else to get drawn into. But um, right. but that's interesting that, that, you, that you've gotten yourself uh, hooked on it. Yeah, I haven't watched it since I came back. I only watched it there. I'm trying to avoid watching it because I do feel like there's a long queue of things that I want to watch that I would probably get more out of than Survivor. Like my movie sure. list is very long, and if I get caught up in watching people compete for a million dollars then then what am i doing but uh it might be something i throw on every once in a while yeah it's definitely one of those things where you can have it on and kind of have half an eye on that and while you're working on something else so it's one of those things that you can have in the background and still follow it easily totally how about you? i think Dad? that's why it's so popular yeah. uh, uh so for me um i finished a book called american shaolin now i want to be very clear there's a movie that's American Shaolin. Has nothing to do with this. Not any any way similar. Nothing like this. Um, but I. But it was a book that I read. I was. I had finished a, another book, and I was looking for something to read before my book of the month came up. And so, as I was scrolling through things, I saw the title American Shaolin, and I knew there was a movie. And I. And so I started reading the description of this, and it, it just pulled me in right away. It was a, a young man who had started going to school at one of the. Ivy League schools for, for a couple of years. He is originally from Kansas City. Started going to school and he had made a list of the things that he hated about himself. And he had to figure out while he was in college how to knock that list down. So one of them was that he was a coward. One was that he was weak. One was that he was not attracted, attractive to the opposite sex. Uh, the other one was that he was ignorant. Um, and so he had all these various different things that he wanted to fix about himself while he was in college. And so as he got through his third year of college, he wasn't, he, he had knocked a couple of things off, but wasn't getting where he wanted to be. And so he had started to take Chinese in college. And he, one of his favorite shows when he was growing up was Kung Fu. And so he determined that he was going to go to China and learn Kung Fu at the Shaolin Temple. And that's what he did. And this is a book about him going through that time in his life and it was it was such a good read thoroughly well done uh the the author uh he's funny uh he has a lot of lots of great humor in there he has a lot of very uh human interest type story stuff that's in there as well so i would highly highly recommend this book to anybody who um who has any interest in reading just a fun book. Uh, the author's name is Matthew Polly, P-O-L-L-Y. And uh, definitely a, a book that I would highly encourage anyone to read. It's a pretty quick read, um, and it's it's just really well done. Kung Fu is the one that had the guy from Kill Bill? Yes, David Carradine. 
David right? Carradine. And he, and he had based his whole thought process of Kung Fu on that, and he found out that that's not really what it was. But uh, it, it, it's, it's quite a story. So I had something similar to that, to that story. Not that I studied Kung Fu or anything, but that I made a list of things that I wanted to change about myself when I went to sure. college. Sure. I like developed a, like a framework of how I was going to do it. I call it the idea system. We can talk about sure. it another time, but nice. It's just funny to you know you go through these big transitions in your life and uh, sometimes evaluate who you are and and see a new start as a as a way to be a new person. And it sounds Absolutely. like it worked for him. It definitely worked for me. So yes, yes, yeah, it, it, awesome. it did work for him. Yeah, d- definitely a book to check out if you get if you have time. I will. All right. What's something you learned this week? Well, I learned why bubblegum is pink. It was initially gray, right? That is correct. Uh, So back in 1928, there was an accountant. So think about this. An accountant was responsible for changing the course of bubblegum in America or in the world. He was an accountant for the Fleer Chewing Gum Company. And so Fleer obviously made chewing gum, but they also, if you were a sports card collector uh, like I was, they also made sports cards. They were a big uh, baseball card uh, company. But he started messing around with some of the the recipes. Now, why this accountant was messing around with with various different recipes at at the chewing gum company, I have no idea why they would just, hey, by the way, if you're done with accounting, go ahead and head into the recipe store and see what you can you can come up with. But um, the gentleman's name was Walt Deemer, and he found a recipe that he thought was a little too sticky. And so he's trying to mess around with various different things that would allow him to blow bubbles because the way that it was being made right now or at that time, you couldn't blow a bubble very well. And he wanted something that would allow you to blow bubbles, hence the name, you know, bubble gum. And so he found some, some red dye, and based on the recipe he used, it diluted it so that instead of it being red, it turned it pink because of the gray color and the red color. It turned it into being pink. And he invented the original double bubble bubble gum. That's fun. He probably yeah. that red dye probably causes cancer or something too. I'm sure it's red. Point. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean, it, it, it doesn't have a follow up to let me know that he died of cancer, but that's right. very possible. That's uh, that's a fun little fact. I knew that yeah, it was gray, so. but I don't know how I knew that. It was um, maybe one of those YouTube videos. Yeah, probably. God, honestly. Uh, mine is also historical. Okay. Back in the uh, preceding days of World War One, England learned about the development of the U-boat in Germany. Oh, yes. Which they were going to then use... Uh, with great success in World War One, And so yes. in 1915, the British Army was trying to figure out how they could immobilize a submarine effectively uh, because you couldn't really see it or sense it, and then it was attacking you. And in fact, the only way that you can identify a U-boat before the invention of radar was by seeing the periscope Oh, sure. Uh, uh, that was above the water, which they sure. used to seek out your ship. And so the 
way that they decided to immobilize something that humans couldn't see was to train seagulls to okay. see periscopes by dragging around periscopes <laughs> on the back of merchant ships and then try and teach them to poop on the periscope so that the U-boat operators could not see the target and could not effectively no shoot at it. So they would have to try and return to shore and clean off the periscope before they could, um, <laughs> before they could take out an enemy ship. So how did this work, Jordan? Well, it was shelved because they found out that <laughs> seagulls actually don't swim that far out into the ocean. They oh, actually sure. stay close to the shore, and most of the U-boats were off the coast by a good margin. They were in the open water, and sure. seagulls never went out there. There was really no motivation for them to go out there, so it didn't matter no. if they were trained to poop on the periscope because they wouldn't wander around and see a periscope and think to poop on it. They weren't seeing any periscopes at all, which the humans also <laughs> weren't seeing. So they no. spent a good, I don't have an exact number, but they spent a good bit of money on that program. Uh, similar to uh, how I imagine uh, the cost of the U S camel Corps went, but that'll be a oh, whole, yes. whole episode on its own someday. So yes, it will. Uh, that's classic. Yeah, don't you like that? I found that one on. I Reddit. love that. That I is a great it. story. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so this week in chess, it is all right. The most uh, sad and exciting time of the year, uh, the FIDE <laughs> Candidates Chess Tournament did conclude. I did okay. get to watch a few games because they nice. were happening over the long holiday weekend. Sure, sure. And there was no stopping him. Jan Napomniachi did not lose a single game the entire wow. tournament. 16, wow. or sorry, 14 games, and he either won or drew them. He won five games and drew the rest of them. So ridiculous. One of the best candidates' performances uh, of all time. And he was definitely doing it with a vengeance because he was absolutely humiliated by having one of the widest margin losses in the last world championship match against Magnus Carlsen, who he is now right. technically supposed to face in the next world championship. Uh, and I don't have anything against Yana Pomniachi, but I lost a lot of interest in him as a player when he, Magnus did just absolutely wreck him. So sure. I wasn't rooting for him only because I really want the best candidate to beat Magnus to have the opportunity to do that. And in right. this in this field, it probably would be Ding Li Ren, the highest rated player in the tournament, uh, who actually ended up finishing in second place. And okay. uh, you'll remember I said earlier on, weeks ago on the podcast that Magnus has threatened not to play in the next world championship match one, because he has a list of demands about how to change the format. Right. And two, he feels like he's already uh, solidified his dominance against people of this generation. So he would sure. like to see the next generation come up and challenge him. But the person who he singled out, Ali Reza Faruja, who was in the candidates finished in sixth place. Okay. Six points. Uh, he lost four games, so quite the inverse of Mr. Napomniashi. 
Right. Uh, but he's young. He's only 18, which makes him dramatically young for being in the candidates tournament. Generally, this happens around 22, 24, 26. Those are your prime years. Uh, so he'll be back, I have no doubt, and probably he'll show a better performance in the future. But Hikaru, the person who we were rooting for, yes, kind of was taking the tournament by storm. He had no chance of catching up to Jan, but he did have a chance of getting second place, which normally nobody cares about if you ain't first, you're last <laughs> in the candidates tournament. But in Thanks, this Ruby, one, it would matter because if Magnus wouldn't play the next world championship, then the person who finishes second in the candidates tournament would go again in a match against the person who finishes first, in this case, ah. and on round 14, 14, the final round, Hikaru Nakamura was playing Ding Li Ren, and he had a very comfortable draw. And if he would have drawn that game, he would have been a half point ahead of third place, so he'd have been in second place, and he would be the potential, although unlikely, challenger for the world championship. Yeah. And then he threw it all away. He lost it. Lost his cool. Did he, did he just make a, just a stupid mistake or just a, um, uh, a, ner- a nervous mistake? Or what was the situation? Well, it was the end of a long tournament. It's good to remember that, that he had just been kind of crushing it. You know, good recovery from his first initial loss. Um and working his way up the leaderboard. And you you get fatigued, but these Grandmaster blunders are rarely ever giving up what we call a piece. Uh, And those are, at the amateur levels, what happens all the time and what you would call a stupid mistake. But (laughs) when you get up to the 2700 level, it's almost imperceptible to somebody who's not a Grandmaster whether a move that they made is strategically good or bad, unless you have some kind of evaluation. Um, There are some rules of the road, like your pieces should be uh, positioned um, on open files if they're rooks, or uh, from afar if they're bishops. Uh, Knights should be closer to the center of the board where they can affect more pieces. You want certain pawn structures lend themselves to winning games. Um, But if your opponent gets an edge on you in one of these many positional factors and you make even just the slightest inaccuracy, which I do in my games all the time and doesn't mean anything as long as I don't blunder, um, you're probably going to end up losing the game. It's all about how it trends. So first it was trending Hikaru winning, then it was trending a solid draw, and then it trended towards Ding, who ended up winning the game and getting second place. Wow. Uh, so uh, there's an upside and a downside to this. I'm not sure that Hikaru would have what it took to beat Jan Nepomniachi, especially in the form that he's been playing, if he had finished in second and Magnus decides not to play. I think it's more likely that Magnus will decide to defend the title against Jan Nepomniachi, um, but we'll see. And I think that if he doesn't, Dingley Ren is probably a more worthy opponent to Jan anyway. Sure. I think that in a match scenario, it would be much tighter for the two of them. So, gosh, it is sad. I wanted Hikaru to do better. He ended up <laughs> tied for third, but uh, still an impressive tournament all around for 
for everybody involved and for Hikaru, who I'm still greatly proud of uh, coming right. off of streaming. He streams basically just three-minute Blitz games. And, sure. And he does thousands and thousands and thousands of those. But then to go and sit down and focus on a game for four hours, that's a completely different game that you're playing. Absolutely. You have to think yep. a lot more strategically, rely less on intuition and memorization and more on calculation. And he just totally flexed his muscles. He showed that he is one of the most gifted chess players of all time. And uh, I, for one, am glad at least that he'll be streaming more now that this is out of the way so that I can watch him. That's awesome. That's that's a great update, Jordan. Yes, congrats to Jan Nepomniachi. Uh, the World Championship won't be happening for another year, so nothing to worry about on that front. Or maybe it's half a year. I'm not sure if they're doing it this year or if they're waiting. It depends on if they want to fix the cycle that was thrown off by COVID or not. Sure, sure. Awesome. Great update, How about update, you? Jordan. How about this week in Brian? Well, um, you know, I've been talking about this for a little while, but officially I hit the over 30 days mark for my running streak. So I'm into my second set of 30 days, which we talked about last podcast. I'm thinking I'm going to shoot for, for 60 days for sure. And so uh, that's going really well. I'm once again still feeling really good. Knees, ankles, hips, feet, everything's doing really well. Uh, in fact, in today's run, I did a seven-mile run. And uh, in, so far in, in this month of July, I've, I've ran um, about 17, no, uh, tw- 27, excuse me, 27 miles already in the first seven, six days of, of July. So um, f- doing really well, feeling really good about it. So that's that's the update on that. Nice. Well, congratulations on your running streak and good luck on it going with it into the future. Thank you. Thanks for potting with me today, Dad. I enjoyed our inverted episode. It was fun. We'll keep the verted version of the of the closer, though. I'll let you finish her off. All right. Sounds good. Our outro is by Ted Heineshevitz. It's you and I on his album, It's Fine, which you can find anywhere where you listen to music. And, uh, Dad, I will see you next week. Sounds great, Jordy. Take us out, Ted. We're in this together. You and I, you and I, you and I.